This is Scott McNamara with What's New in Adaptive Physical Education. I am uh, bringing you a episode of the Nick Peed Collaborative that was actually from May, uh, where Dr. Justin Hagel from Old Dominion University and J.K. Yoon from East Carolina University uh, discussed PhD programs in APE, how to select them, a program that they have, so on and so forth. Um, this one kind of got lost in this in the, the cloud files and we were able to eventually recover it. I think it's a great discussion, so I'm very happy and pleased to be able to still bring it to you all. And in a way, this is a good jump off because the Nick Peak collaboratives are going to begin again in the next few months. In addition, we have some other exciting uh, episodes coming up. I'm going to have one on APE deserts where we're going to talk to people that have had to start their programs from the ground up with little to no support. Uh, and then I'm going to have an interesting conversation with a, uh, with a colleague of mine, Kevin Richards, who we've been working on some research together about school administrators and APE, and we're going to talk amongst ourselves about our own research. I don't talk about my own research all too much, at least as full episodes. And then lastly, um, I'm going to have Andrew Colombo Dugavito on soon to talk about autism and APE and, and a lot of the social um, barriers that they face. So lots of exciting stuff coming up. And with that, I'm going to let the Nick Peed Collaborative begin. Uh, welcome to the Nick Peed APE Collaborative for April. And as always, this will be a live discussion and it's shared on uh, Facebook as well as being recorded for the What's New and Adapted PE podcast. Today, our schedule is we'll go for about an hour. We'll have doctors um, JK and Justin. They're going to speak for about 15 minutes on selecting an APA doctoral program. After that, we'll do about 10 minutes of question and answer. Following that, we'll do some breakout rooms to discuss prevalent topics in adapted physical activity, adapted physical education, just whatever's going on in your area. And that will be moderated by the NICPED membership subcommittee. We'll go for about 10 minutes and then we'll all jump back into the main room and do a recap of what went on in each group. So that's what is tentatively planned for today. First, I'd like to introduce our two speakers. Today we have uh, JK, he's a Leroy T. Walker Distinguished Professor in the Department of Kinesiology at East Carolina University. And he's the director of the Multi-Institution Mentorship Consortium, which is funded by OSEP. His co-speaker today, we've got Dr. Justin Hagel, an Associate Professor, Old Dominion University, the director for the Center of Movement, Health and Disability at Old Dominion University and the co-director of the Multi-Institution Mentorship Consortium. He's also the editor of Quest and the president-elect of NAFAPA. So without further ado, I'll let either of you go ahead and share your screen. You should have um, screen sharing permissions and you can present. Okay, Justin, do you have it? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm gonna download the file right now. Okay. It's on the shared drive that we had there, uh, Melissa. Uh, okay. Melissa, you can actually let me show. go ahead and share and I'll just yeah. click click for you. Right. That'd be great. 
Okay, let me let me pull it up. Unlike you, we are not that tech savvy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that some days. <laughs> All right, take it away. Yeah, so I guess I get to start for us. Uh, so we're going to talk about a few things that we've learned from working with doctoral students. And truth be told, I learned still a lot of things about working with doc students from interacting with JK and talking to him about interacting with doc students um, since uh, him and I talk uh, about once a week. And uh, we debrief about things that are happening in this large multi-university doctoral training consortium that we're working with. Uh, which has been a great adventure. And so we're going to talk about a few lessons that we've learned over the years, uh, his years, quite a few more than my very few years. Um, and then also, uh, if we have time, we'll share some, some tips as well. But um, I think we might be sticking with, uh, we might be sticking with lessons today. And I see a few people commenting on the picture. That's the same comment I had when JK showed it to me. I was surprised with how high JK can jump when I saw this picture. Um, so yeah, we can move to the next one. And so one of the important things that uh, we talk about often, especially with uh, the, the H grant that we work with, is that there have historically been a lot of jobs um, in adapted PE um, at the higher ed level. And so the graph here is from a paper that Jeff McCubbin wrote back in 2011 uh, that showed a trend in the amount of jobs that either were total uh, total uh, APE jobs or PE jobs that mentioned APE or jobs that only mentioned um, or were primarily APE, which is the black box, um, and as well as how many dissertations were being published um, per year in the focus of adapted PE. And so you could see like all the way back in 2001, there were like 49 or so jobs total, 25 or 24 that were primary. And so uh, you can go to the next slide, Melissa. The, um, so we've continued to collect this data and we've been collecting this data now um, for, this is 13 consecutive years. The first half were JK's years, the second half were my years. Um, I attempt, so you'll see a little bit of a drop off around 2016 and that's largely because of a different person coding it, not necessarily because of a significant drop off in jobs. And then if you look at 2022, uh, which is current this job or this year, we're bouncing back to pre-COVID years with jobs that have either adapted PE as the focus in higher ed or a PE job that has disability oriented, um, I, I would say flavor to the job. So if they mentioned, if they were a PE job and they mentioned teaching an adapted PE course, then we included in uh, that orange uh, that orange column. And you'll see this year, which is interesting, there's actually more jobs that are focusing primarily on adapted PE than there are that are PE jobs that have that, uh, that flavor. And you'll also see, especially if you look at 2021, there were just six dissertations in the area while there were about uh, 13 jobs. So even last year where we had a down year in the number of jobs, which you know all of higher ed saw a down year last year with COVID and, and whatnot, there's still only half of the, half of those jobs are gonna have qualified people coming out. So what we'll see is people shifting jobs, right? And so we're not really fixing the problem by training enough people to take all of the jobs. People will shift locations. And when somebody shifts locations, it basically kicks the job open to the following year when a lot of these jobs are reopening and we still need more people trained. And so for us, this is a good thing, right? It's a good thing that there's a lot of jobs out there um, and that our graduates are, are uh, obtaining that employment. Go ahead, um, uh, go ahead, Melissa. So there, 
second lessons we learned was, uh, you know, yes, we have a, a lot of job opening. A lot of uh, those students are, you know, will have a, uh, still looking for a, a, a uh, sorry for my, my phone is uh, ringing in, in there. It's just the right timing, you know, you know, there. So uh, there are a lot of jobs out there. And then we have a lot of uh, students are interested in doctor program. And one thing so we observing is a observe was a misalignment of expectation. So many of our students are coming looking for PhD, and then you know almost including myself was I want to work with the people with the disability, and I want to teach how to teach children with disability better. But when you're really looking for a PhD program, and when become faculty. That's not what we do. So this is a came from a PhD comment, and you know when you're looking for the the uh, the far right, you know column. That's how professors want to do spending time. You know it's basically don't tell me what to do. I'll just do whatever I want. And then right now I'm kind of a administrator in a role. And sure, you need to have 175% time you need to do research and you need to teach a little bit and then we expect to do your service. But in reality, you know, there, this is another, you know, there, every school is just on average of all the United States when you're combining it. People spending about 60% of our time of teaching and about 20% of research and 20% of service activities actually people do. This is a very important part is because we all has a very warm heart and we want to work with the people with disability. But many of us, when you're actually working in a high education environment, we're not actually dealing with the people with disability every day. We're dealing with the undergraduate student and graduate student, and we are expected to conducting research. And service component is a very small component, and the service dividing into many different parts, which is a working with the people with disabilities is relatively small. So when you're really thinking about this expectation was that many people want to doing it, coming to PhD too, I want to improving my skill sets to working with disability in May, may not really matching with, you know, what higher education environment is asking faculty members to do. So it is a really important lessons we learn is, uh, you know, the people may need to be understand, you know, what actually, you know, professors spend their time. And I think there are people rarely spending time on, you know, what professors do. Yeah, there. Can you go next slide? Yeah, and so this is a lesson that I think is more so geared toward advice for people who might be interested in joining a, a doctoral program. Um, and, and I think that a lot of people, at least people who I speak with who express like at least preliminary interest, a lot of them wanna live in very particular places. A lot of them wanna stay close to the university uh, that they're doing their PhD uh, at, or like we've had undergrads uh, here at ODU say things like, oh, it'd be, you know, it'd be great to like come here and finish a terminal degree and then I could be a lecturer here. And I thought, I, I usually think to myself, yeah, that would be great. but. Unfortunately, it's not really realistic um, in a lot of instances um, because, you know, at least here, there's only three positions and we're each relatively young. I don't think we're going anywhere for a while, but also most people when they're finishing their doctoral programs, they're looking for positions across the country. Um, I can 
I can share that after I finished up at Ohio State, my wife and I talked about uh, trying to narrow down a, a location for employment. And we went from anywhere between North Carolina and Maine and Ohio in that general vicinity. And I was surprised that we actually landed within that. Um, I thought I'd be, you know, in Southern Arkansas or something of that nature. And so I've now gotten to work with three doc students and one of them lives in Georgia and the other two live in Norway. And so like getting to choose where you live, um, especially with a very narrow scope is a challenge. And so when a lot of people talk with me about doc programs, one of the main pieces of advice that I give them is that they need to be open to living around the country if they're looking for a tenure track position. Um, it's very challenging to find a tenure track spot within a very specific location, um, even if you have really good connections. Uh, I think that's a really challenging thing to do. And so, you know, this is just something that people need to be aware of beforehand. And it's something that I talk to students or prospective students about before joining a program. I mean, if I adding to a little bit about that previous slide, you know, there, it does not mean you have to live in you know, there, there's something you don't want to live. I mean, you may able to move when opportunities come to the desirable locations, but most students are finishing it. Those uh, opportunities, you know, in their, their, you know, where, where you're going to go may, may not have opportunities exist. So you have to wait until then you have to prepare again. And many of the doctor students generally don't think that type of issues. They just did coming, finishing doctorate degree, and now I want to go back to where my undergraduate was. Uh, you know, that that is uh, not realistic there. So, you know, the, the lesson, you know, fourth lesson was that uh, this is what Justin and I actually discussed quite a lot. And then maybe he and I are pessimistic uh, and, you know, start to worry about so much. And, you know, I, I was uh, the, the starting, you know, there are people who are above my generation, you know, I can name number of people, you know, they're, they're Gert Thomason, you know, Dale Rick, you know, they're all, you know, Crowd and Cheryl, you know, I was always a look up, you know, and then I was able to, to expecting to lead. And then when I'm looking for my generation or, you know, the, the below generation, I felt like I was really panicking. God, feel the outfield will be going dying. You know, the, you know there are nobody will, will lead to, you know, things. And when I talked to Justin, you know, he he kind of felt same. So we, we, we passed two pessimistic people together and the God, this is the world, the world will be, Earth will be me collapsing, you know, soon. And then, you know, epi you know, there, there are, you know, we'll be all die, you know, that type of attitude. But really working with a number of doctorate students, uh, you know, we, I start to realize that there are a lot bright and a lot younger and a lot smart people actually joining in, in, in the field. And they are slightly different each other and their expertise, their interest is different. But if we are able to, to working together and if we, we collaborate together, I think our future is, it can be quite bright there. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, and this, like JK said, that's something that we talk about. I, I feel like we used to talk about a lot. And I think for a while I would look around the age band that I consider myself part of, and I didn't, maybe I didn't know enough people. And so at the time I thought, man, I don't know what's going on, but like, you know, you see these, I, I suppose like leaders from prior generations and you're thinking like, who's going to pop up from yours and like, how's that going to look? 
And I think today, I think quite differently because I've gotten to know people at different places within the age band that I consider myself within, which would be the absolute youngest age band, perhaps in the 20s. Um, and I think, but I think our group is strong. I think there's actually loads of people who are quickly and rapidly emerging into leadership positions, which is, which is really um, comforting, I think is the word for our field. Yeah. Hey, tell you the truth, our 35H was uh, some that, that pessimistic view and, you know, we have to do something about it. You know, we, we you know, that, that is a really strong driving motives to, to, to a crazy enough to be spending, we, we're spending almost a year and a half to writing proposal. And uh, the, I, I, I think I saw more frequently Li, 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 Justin than my dad, you know, you know, there. So, so, you know, they're really, Li, Li, uh, that is really Li pessimistic view create, you know, force us to writing a grant. But once we really doing it, yes, you know, there are future looks great there. Okay. Did you say you see me more than your dad? Because I definitely see you more than I see my dad. Yeah, I mean, you know, my dad is a passed away a couple of years ago, so now he's not, not able to see him anymore. But uh, yeah, definitely when he was alive, I talked to you more than I probably my dad. Well, it's reciprocal for sure. Sorry, that's a little too much banter there. Thank you for flip, flipping the slide there, Melissa. Um, so the next one, so this is a picture of our group uh, last fall of our consortium group. And so you can see in here, we've got a load of like really bright and like it's, it's fun to be around a lot of our scholars because I, I think most of them, if not all of them are quite a bit smarter than I am. So I get to learn a lot from them um, and I get to, to feel like I don't know what I'm talking about fairly often, which is quite nice. Um, I think, um, and then we've got faculty in here like Dr. Sam Hodge and Dr. Marty Block and Dr. Samantha Ross and Dr. Susanna Dillon. And I think uh, Dr. Deb Shapiro is right there. So it's like playing Where's Waldo with all these guys. But like, I, I feel like the group of faculty that we're working with, um, Dr. Andrea Taliaferro from West Virginia is not pictured here as a, uh, also Sean Healy and Sam Logan. I'm going to stop saying doctor because I guess that's kind of implied at this point, but they're not pictured either. But, you know, I think we've got a group that like, I remember standing in a room with all of them and thinking like, hmm, I don't know if I belong with these people. Like, I think like these guys are all pretty, pretty strong folk. And then the scholars are fantastic. And so really we put this picture here to highlight this point that it's really more about who you're working with rather than where you are. And so like we're at eight or nine different universities around the country. And so we're all working together. Um, but this is also uh, part of a point that I also like to make when scholars are shopping around for programs. Um, I haven't talked to a scholar yet that I haven't told to go talk to people at other places because I don't really want to work with scholars who don't talk to people in other places and know what their options are. Like most scholars who would end up coming here to ODU, um, would have options elsewhere. And a lot of it to me is personality, right? Like if somebody has to deal with me for three or four years, I want them to know what they're getting into before they move on down here and agree to deal with me. And I mean, I remember doing the same thing. I actually got the same advice from Joe Winnick uh, years ago when I was shopping around for doc programs. And he said, like, get to know people first. And JK and I laugh about this often, but like JK is one of the people who I spoke with. Um, and after him and I spoke, uh, I came to the conclusion that it wasn't going to work for me and him and I to work together uh, for my doc program, which is ironic because of how often we talk now. But, you know, at the time, uh, working with Dave Peretta at Ohio State and then, you know, also 
uh, Sam Hodge at Ohio State was was what I needed. And I think that's what people need when they're thinking about doc work. There's loads of options right now in the U.S. And so rather than saying, like, I want to go to um, I want to go to ECU, which doesn't have a doc program, but I want to go there because I like the location. I really think that like making sure the person you're working with is somebody that you can see yourself working with. I also think their interests are important. And so there's been folks that I've talked to and seemed to get on with, but wanted to do research on things that I don't really know anything about, like motor skills. Like I'm not a motor skill person. And so if somebody says to me, like, can we do motor skill research together? Generally, I'd say, no, I think you'd be better off going somewhere else. There's other people who like, this is their passion. Why not work with somebody who loves that specific thing? And so really it's two things to me. It's getting to know the person and making sure that you like ideologically align, but also getting to know their interests and making sure your interests are similar so that you're not doing work that you don't want to do. So uh, we, we can keep talking or it depends on time, you know, we can skip the tip because we, we have a, the, about five tips there. So Melissa, what do you think? Yeah, Shall you're we... fine. You're fine. No, okay. no rush. So, uh, I'll talking about a little bit of the, 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 some of the tips and this is just the, the very small like, portions, but you know, one of the tip is uh, understanding uh, expectations. So whoever you know really coming, you need to be really understanding expectations. And I trying to put on the, those uh, like university classification kind of classification. That's not really point we wanted to bring out. But you know there are different university types out there. You know there are some universities are heavy research. Some universities are researchy and combination of more focusing on instruction. Some universities are the the, the heavily focusing on teaching, and one is not better than another. But it is very important to understanding what the expectation is. But also I want to pointing out interesting thing is uh, when you 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 some universities are focusing on research, heavy research they are generally teaching one area. So you are really focusing on that physical activity, you know, that physical education. And that's the only subject you are going to teach. They are generally expecting to conducting a lot of research done. If you're going to a lot of a teaching, you know, the, some of the teaching school, some of the expectation is uh, like, you need to teach that physical education and other things. But the things of what we learn during you know, our lessons, you know, there are some of the students coming and, you know, I'm not really interested in research. That's okay. You know, they're, they're, we all need to have some level of research, but that is not really focused. But I only want to study that physical education. And I, I'm not interested in anything else. They're kind of creating some challenges, which is uh, the, so the job you, the person may be may looking for is a more teaching oriented if you're not really engaging a lot of research activity, but you only want to teach in one specialized area, there are very limited opportunities there. So it is important to understanding, you know, what is the expectation, what is there, you know, and it, you know, the, my early career, we easily recognizing R1, R2 type, type of things, but real whole issue is uh, it's not an institution, it's about their unit. So even your R1 school, some school, focusing on teaching, you know, so you have to be really need to understand what is the expectation of your future job is a crucial to you when you, you're successful with the program. You can go next slide. And this is a lesson that I, I learned was, uh, so, so I really encourage to whoever coming to go where the problems are. 
you know, there are people, you know, trying to be actually following what other people do and whatever, you know, doctors that are coming and then they want to do what I want to do, you know, all those type of things there. But in future, we really need to go. We, we should be joining to where the problem exists. You know, there most people, many people will say, I want to conduct a study because uh, this study has never been before. And I think that is a good idea, but it's not, it's not, not sufficient idea because, well, you know, there are many things we never did because, you know, there are no significant value on it. You know, I never study whether you're jumping off the airplane dies or not. You know, I don't think anybody study, you know, whether you're jumping off the airplane you know, actually kills or not. But you can argue a oh, study that has been done before and we can doing it. So real issue is we really need to go to where problems are and we need to be identifying problems. So slide I put on there is a, a related to the physical activity. So I seeing as a, this is a problem. So I, I developed some of the, my interest in it around there. But whole point I'm trying to say is a, where problems are and that you need to be able to identify the problems is I think is that's critical skills you need to getting it. Can you go next? And then oh, let, let's go to the next slide in you know, you know, there we are in a material. And third tip is uh, it is okay to challenging assumptions and then believe. You know, we tendency to believe, you know, whoever authority or whoever saying it is, uh, is always right. But is a very common. It is okay to challenging assumption. So I will give you this example a little bit in realistic sense, which is uh, we commonly believe people with disabilities are less physically active than people without disabilities, and we almost commonly believe that. And when you're really looking for literature, some evidence suggests that support their common belief, but there are plenty of articles actually does not support that a common belief. But what happened is that we kind of pick, cherry pick, you know, the whatever, you know, the support articles we cherry pick, we kind of only looking for, you know, supporting our common belief. But, you know, we really need to closely look at the literatures to, it, it, it is, a, it is a, you know, whether our assumption is a true or not. Because many times we're making assumptions and, you know, often those assumptions may, may not be true. Can you go next slide? So this is uh, the, the Heidi Stenish is a 2004 article. And then, then when they're talking about uh, individual with the, the intellectual disabilities actually exercise less. And when you look at the, the, the pink, uh, the boxes, their daily step is 11,000 steps and over near 13,000 steps a day. So this is a very early 2004 study. This is a, probably one of a few studies, the first time actually measure their physical activity and it defeat assumption of people with a intellectual disability is walking less, uh, their, their exercise less. This data actually many, many, the people without disability goal is at 10,000 steps, but they actually well beyond 10,000 steps. So, so, you know, what is there? So, you know, the, can, you, can you go next slide? You know, there, what, one of our, our, our doctor, you know, their, their colleagues, and he, he was my former doctor student, conducted a meta-analysis, whether 
Are there really physical activity differences between individual with without disabilities? And what are we doing is we did a meta-analysis. So we collecting all, you know, many previous studies actually reporting it. And then when you're really looking at a, this, a, you know, forest plot, as a rum sum, yes, there are slightly lower level of a physical activity among individuals with, with disabilities. But one of the important finding is uh, when we're dividing these studies into, you know, light and moderate, when there are no differences between people with without disabilities in light and moderate light activity level. Actually, there are, there are no statistical differences, but there are tendency to more than actually people without disability. But the differences what we're finding was really moderate to vigorous level of physical activity. Individual with the disabilities are substantially less level of a moderate to, to a vigorous activity, but not light activity. But many studies just combining all those things. So some studies showing that yes, there are differences. Some studies know there are differences there. The, you know, this talk is not all about, about you know, the, the detail of a studies, but the point I'm trying to saying is, is actually, you know, we are able to, to reveal these things because we, fundamentally asking assumptions and challenging common belief. And then that common belief actually pushing us to looking more deeper and you know, trying to understand what, what, what they are yeah, there. Because but what we really need to doing is we need to be really increasing moderate to vigorous activity, which is a physical education classes, sports participation is a critical part. The tip four is a willing, accepting complexity and examining underlying mechanisms. So, so this is another study we did a while ago. And we all believe teachers uh, make a differences in student behavior. I believe that, you know, everybody believed that. But what happened is actually when you're really looking for actual studies, there are not no relationship. And it does not make sense. It really, really pushing us to all our fundamental assumptions. Yeah, yeah, there, but no relationship. Can you hit it one more time? And then, then in pedagogy, they feel all oh, because of a teacher relationship, other their their relationship there. So they call the, this is a mediation model. So teacher behavior making a differences in students' intention and student intention increasing in student learning, and you know, so teacher behavior is. Uh, affecting students, uh, their, their physical activity level based upon through their students' intention. When you actually be collecting this data, yes, student intention is affecting physical activity and teacher does not affecting anything. So I feel once again, wait a minute, do we really need to be teacher educator? Like teacher that does not have any impact on anything. Can you slide one more? But however, we really start to looking at ecological model, which is we look at the class sizes, instruction model, lesson content, genders. Suddenly, teachers' behavior is uh, interacting with other the factors and affecting teacher and student behaviors. 
And the, the real issue is a lot of times, uh, like when you, people start doing, doing it, people want to looking at very simplistic. Teacher is important and you know, teacher is infecting student behavior. In reality, when you really look at the data, that is not true if we only looking at that context. Even mediation model did not work out. So, so we really need to, to really thinking about, you know, the thinking about to complex, you know, many problems, what we're dealing with is a very complex problem and don't afraid to those com complex problems. And last tips is that we cannot do all at once, you know, because of those things, it's just not going to do one study, the doctorate scholars doing it, and then we're getting every answers. Is that we we has to be do step by steps and it, it taking long time to actually building something significant. Okay. So thank you, and then uh, there hopefully we we help you know you know some of your thought processes, and we can uh, taking any questions. All right, thank you both very much. Let's go ahead and open the floor for any questions you may have about selecting an APA doctoral program. Yes, Barry, you're looking for a program. What question might you have? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I just think it was a great presentation because I, I think a lot of doctoral students are pretty naive when they go in. I, I know I was. And um, one of the things I wanted to discuss and get your thoughts about, because you talk about service, and uh, I, I've always felt like that's something that um, we're expected to, to do that, uh, provide practicums and field work experiences, and we're very good at that. But at the same time, sometimes we spend a lot of our time and energy on that, and it really challenges us with our you know, research and our ability to move forward as a, as a profession. And want to get your thoughts. And one other point, is I think it, a lot of times you, you talked about uh, the university and the expectations of that university. And a lot of doctoral students, of course, they're gonna spend their time at a research one institution because that's where the most likely getting their doctorate. And then when they go to uh, some of these schools that maybe just have an undergraduate program or a, an R2 and have different expectations, on teaching and service, um, it's a real eye opener to them. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, about that or your thoughts about what, what you've seen working with those doctoral students? Sure, you know, the, I, I can can jump and then Justin can finish. So, so, so there, so for me is the, the, you know, I think all we as all human beings are somewhat egocentric. So, whether you're working at a, a the R1 school doctorate institution, you view all universities are uh, working, you know, their expectations like R1 school. But right. in reality, you're working with a number of students and actually there are not many R1 schools and there are a lot more uh, focusing in teaching schools. So th that has to be whoever coming as a younger generation who working at R1 schools start to need to recognizing there are differences there. I felt like it's not the same job description. It's a very different job description. And we need to have a competence in research. We need to have a competence in teaching. And we need to have competence in uh, service obligate has to be building it there. And, and this is maybe a little bit my bias. So that is a, we must be doing that. 
And then then research is not everything, you know, must has to be recognized that. But at the same time, this is how we we are attracting people. So what happened is uh, we as a field attracting to people who are truly interested in, you know, they're working with people with disabilities, helping people. And many of us does not have a probably keen interest on research agenda or all those things are probably secondary issue. And you going to doctor program and suddenly you, you are expected to doing that. And so it is creating some challenges and problems, you know, but for me, so one thing is, so I, I believe you going back to where you're coming from. So what happened is once you graduated and you go, you're really into the service and working with people disability, you are naturally attracted to that, that mold. What the challenging is, if you did not building strong research competence in your doctorate degree, you actually never will build your research competence while in profession. Skill set of how to work with people with disability, how to providing services, uh, I believe continuously will grow once you got the job because that's not what our passion is. However, there they do not building solid research skills when they are in doctor program. You know, they, they all have a very different job to building future, you know, skill set. So some degree in doctor training is a heavy focusing on research is not, and then some of the doctor mentor is only looking for researcher. I think that is not best practice. However, you know, there are skill sets we need to build and there are different time sets we need to develop. So if you're really building a lot of hands-on you know, experience in your doctor program and you, you, have a, you will have a limited choices where you can go. Whereas uh, you have a skill set of your teaching research and then you may have a better skill set to, to actually you can go there. Justin, you want to add something? Yeah, I think with with that uh, particular point, I think like we've had the the um, opportunity here to work with, I believe like five or six people who've come through master's programs in adapted PE at various places. A few from uh, UW La Crosse, a couple from UVA, uh, one from University of Hawaii. Um, and one from Brockport. And what I've noticed is like what, what we don't necessarily need to worry about is content, right? Like I, I don't worry about content, understanding adapted PE, knowing how to work with kids with disabilities, understanding the field, right? Because these programs do a wonderful job of training people to teach adapted PE. So when they get here, what we can do is focus primarily on the research aspect. And so for me, it sets those students up kind of like what JK was saying to focus on developing those research competencies without having to learn things like what's an IEP or what is IDEA, things like that, that if, if somebody comes through without any background in adapted PE or if they come from a program that perhaps isn't as strong, maybe they don't have those same skills. Um, I think, Barry, I think you brought up another point that's interesting, which is I think when we get to university life, we're often, as APA folk, expected to run service, um, like service learning programs and such. And yeah, I, I think that creates a, a really interesting and somewhat unfair comparison between us and perhaps researchers in fields like sport management or exercise physiology, because they, they don't spend that time running like service, uh, service learning programs generally, right? And so 
we're essentially taking on more work um, on the hands-on level, which a lot of us love to do, but we're taking it on at the expense of either you know, publishing more papers or conducting more research or collecting more data or doing professional service like you know, editing journals or, or reviewing papers or engaging in the scientific method. So um, I do think that it is a little problematic um, that there's an expectation for our particular field to run things that um, take away time to do um, other tasks. What school program are you referring to? Like service learning programs, Coach Q? Like, um, like a, I mean, I think at Cal State Long Beach, I feel like on Twitter, I see 15 to 20 different service learning programs every week. I, I feel like you guys run service learning programs for people who want to do service learning programs. Right. And, and, and the other thing is a lot of us would, you know, I probably would get a call once a week from the community, like, can you come out and help out? I mean, if I answered everyone and helped every single program out there from the community, uh, you know, that could be a full-time job. You but, know? but for, for um, me, that's why we really need to think about what is the expectations. Right, you know, right. Many of you guys know physical education program is uh, the, the getting reducing and reducing in, in the nation. And a lot of uh, the, them to the raging concerns like, oh, they do not value up you know, all those type of things. One degree, yes, but the real, real, real bottom line is, uh, you know, if we do not perform what university is, is expected to do, and as a, the kind of a first slide I is showing you as a, so leave me alone, you know, I, I want to do what I want. You know, there are a lot of that attitudes in the faculties there. You know, sure. we may, may not able to survive because we are part of a big, organization and we cannot ignore you know what is the university expectation so those things are individual choices we need to make within context of your school but in reality this is what I saw all the time is uh, uh, because we our heart is there we just keep doing it but we kind of forget about other aspect of what we as a faculty should do. And then we complain about, oh, we don't have a time. I want to do this. You know, the, in, in, in any type of job, you just can tell, leave me alone and I'll do whatever I wish to do. That is not going to, to fly well. In, One in thing that Barry uh, was very smart and kind of trained us early on was triple dip. Have your service learning program. It's tied in with the class, but that's also where you collect your data. Yep. And so you're checking off all three of those boxes kind of by doing mm -hmm. one thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I've heard that a lot before. I, some of the service learning group, well, I guess it's not really service learning. Some of the programs we run here, I purposely keep away from our data collection because like sometimes I just, I just want to break. Like I want to do some stuff for kids and, and not worry about collecting data constantly. Um, but yeah, I've, I've definitely heard that same advice to, you know, triple or however many dips you can get into one, whatever it is you dip into, dip. Dips into a dip. I, I know Garth, Garth has had his hand up like for 15 minutes now trying to ask a question over by that lake he's hanging out by. Also, this, I'm not, I think that's a great advice, but also we, we actually collecting data and analyzing it to a attitude change of people who participate in service learning. And one of the things we learned was actually, I think that study or another study, I'm a little bit confused, but you know, showing that People who actually design and then, then focus has a 
great impact. And you're trying to do the double dip or triple dip, those program has a tendency to less impact on anything. So it is a very the challenging issue. And I do not have a solution because if you split out and then non-focus you are, you actually impact, the result is a pretty not great. But if you're focusing it, you will have a greater impact. The Kurt, do you want to say something? Oh uh, yeah, I got a question uh, for Justin. Uh, as we as we all know, whoops, yeah. As we all know, there's uh, you know an ongoing an ongoing shortage of adapted physical education teachers. Um, Justin, do do you find that some of the doc students come in leaning one way or another? wanting to get into teacher education and adapted PE or not wanting to get in? And how, how are you finding that situation? Uh, I, I'm, I'm unclear of what you're asking. You mean like, do they, are they coming in with the idea to go teach teachers essentially? Like, is that their passion? Yeah, yeah. Do you feel, do you feel there's, um, there's some folks that are leaning more toward wanting to get into teacher education, adapted physical education, teacher education, or wanting to go the other way, not wanting to be involved in teacher education and adapted PE? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, at least with ODU, um, we won't take students unless that's what they're interested in. Um, we're, we're in a health and sport pedagogy program. Uh, we have few faculty, our interests primarily lie within PE um, or adapted PE teacher education. Um, and, you know, so I think for us, like we're seeing people who are coming in like Steve and Katie, who came in from UW Lacrosse, who their long term vision is to get their PhD and go work at a university um, and teach other teachers how to teach. Uh, that's the reason I went into higher ed as well for complete uh, disclosure, although it's it's funny how things change, because now I feel like I spend most of my time figuring out how to teach less and do other things. Um, but I think those doing that doing other things opens up the job for, or the opportunity for other people to take those roles. Um, I would say around the country, what we're seeing with our group is we're seeing people who have interest in doing other things, right? Like moving outside of A-P-E-T-E. -E. But, um, but when we look at the job, uh, the job calls, most of them are in either a PE program or an adapted PE specific job line. So very few, if any, jobs are popping up that are not physical education, teacher education, um, yeah. which limits what you can do if that's your primary focus. Um, so what I would tell potential students is that if they want to do work like research in or service in adapted physical activity, more physical activity type focus, you can do that while doing your degree and being able to teach in a PE or adapted PE teacher education program. But I would still get the degree in PETE because there's more opportunities for teaching afterwards at a university. Yeah, and certainly they're needed. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you already knew that answer, Garth. You're just asking to hear somebody else say it, I think. Oh, did we have one in the chat that I thought maybe I missed? Yes, from Chrissy. Is there any flexibility in getting a job in APE in higher ed if someone has a PhD in another field such as special education, special education, exercise science, or kinesiology? That, that it depends a lot on the state and uh, the requirements of the state. I know, like here at ODU, each program, and and I I know Chrissy. Chrissy's at ODU as well. Um, but each program um, or each opening at 
at ODU and in the state of Virginia, you have to be within related uh, doctoral degrees. And so it would be very challenging here to, for example, get a PETE faculty line with a special education uh, PhD, but it might be different in other states. I'm unsure if this is a state related thing um, or not. I think it is. JK, you know anything about that? Yes, and I have an opinion because the the as as of right now, like particularly SAG is how we we control there. We really need to be looking for those numbers, and you know I, I don't know how many of you guys heard like zip code and and that type of a word. So so as a chair, you know half of my job is actually matching those uh, the uh, the the qualifications and the, whether they're actually trying to be they're able to to teach assigned classes or not, that type of things I need to do. But at the same time, I have a little bit slightly different point of view because of, you know, we 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 never be a AP teacher at at time we was born. Some point of our life, we go to school and then we kind of study disability and then we're interested in this field and we end up with this field. So for me, so this is a little bit uh, premature Today is a funny today. Each time I'm trying to talk, it'll be before it's ringing, you know, you know, there. But anyway, actually, nobody generally called me at all. So this is a very weird day. But anyway, uh, you know, there, we try to be dividing those things based upon just the degree is, I think, it, my opinion is somewhat silly. What people do and what people do as a future, we need to go is more important. Sure, degree is important because it'll give you a substantial background and, and informations. But I hope we are looking for and whether there, there has a person has exercise science, physiology, or special education. You know, we, we should not be categorizing group people to where they are coming from, but what they are interested in, how they we can contribute to their the field of you know improving physical activity and quality of education of people with disability, rather than is this person has a, a, the, the, a PED degree or this person has a, the six months of a teaching experiences or whatever. You know, that, that's a, it, just in my personal opinion. We really need to have her trying to much more inclusive to reaching the goal of what we ultimately want to do, providing quality services to student and quality education, you know, you know to the children with disabilities. Um, Melissa, I've got a question. Oh, you have a follow-up to that, Barry? Yeah. Along those lines, what's your reaction when you see job descriptions like in adaptive physical activity or physical education that say uh, you must have public school experience? Well, I, I'm curious, like my, my JK experience or Justin. Is, uh, public school experiences are so important. There are no question about it. You know, very, very important. But I, I have also another feeling because of uh, what their danger is. Justin taught the New York School District, and then I was in the state of Oregon, which is a rural school district. Justin's experiences at the New York School District may, may not have any relevance in, in a rural Oregon public school expenses. So for me, it's those, the public school expenses should be, be really considered, but at the same time, I felt like it's a silly to limit you know, the, the who has it because there are fundamental assumption that that expenses are trans, transferred to whatever whole situation. And state of Oregon, you know, the, the, until 2001, 
there are even IEP was not even same. Every school district using different IEP forms. So whatever IEP form using for the, the from 1975 to 2000, you cannot even same IEP form was using it. Is a 2000 was the first time actually they creating one IEP form, and there are so much variations from one school to one district to one there. So you put on the, that constraint is a, my personal opinion is a somewhat silly. However, experiences is very important. Yeah, I think- What do you think? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it depends on what your long-term objective is. Um, I agree with JK, like I stopped teaching in 2012. And so that's 10 years ago. If education hasn't changed in 10 years, then I think we've got bigger problems than whether or not you know, somebody has teaching experience or not trying to teach people how to teach. Um, and, and my experience is only going to get more outdated. You know, I think what, what I did in New York City's Department of Ed expired a long time ago as far as relevance. Um, but I think like when, when we talk to incoming doc students or prospective doc students, I think that when people's goal, like when their objective is, I want to teach teachers how to teach, and that's the primary objective that they want to work on, then I think there's more value to having teaching experience than if they see themselves as a researcher who's going to attempt to, and like nothing's promised, of course, but like when they step into the, the program thinking like I did a thesis in my master's, I was research heavy in my master's, I want to continue to do a lot of research. And that's what I want to contribute to the field um, during my doc program and into my career. Um, there are some PEAT faculty, some of the most prolific PEAT faculty in the country have never taught in schools. Um, but they're PEAT faculty whose focus is, and they, they, they embrace this, they understand who they are, um, whose focus is to do the research and not necessarily to tell people to, how to go teach. And so I think it depends a lot on who you are. Um, I've talked to some prospective students who had said, I have never taught, what do you think? And like, basically that's the conversation. And to be, to be frank, most of them go and teach afterwards. Most of them go get a couple of years experience and try to see like what, what they can learn and uh, you know, going back again to Joe Winnick, he basically gave me advice to go do, he said do one year. And then when I was at Bradford, Lauren Lieberman said do five years. And fortunately, Kathy Houston Wilson came in the middle and said, go teach for three years. And so when I was taught in New York, it was really a three-year project to learn what schools were like. And again, it's probably expired. I would be surprised if it's still the same. But but one thing I'm on a little bit, bit has a different opinion is uh, we should not separating research and teaching as a separate continuum. I think that that what we are really missing is uh, we really need to put research and teaching as a one continuum too. Research is a trying to be, if you're truly pedagogy, adaptive physical education person, is uh, your research is how to improving your teaching practice. Your teaching practice should not be solely based upon your own experiences about 30 years ago you taught in you know whatever sure. the you know idea your whatever research activity should be focusing on how to teach better. So the teaching and research should not be never be separate issue. It is the same issue. But with tendency to your researcher, your teacher, I think I have a little bit more you know, concern with that. Right. Action research blending. Right. Teaching and service. Sure. Great. Thanks. We've got another question in the chat. And by the way, today, we're definitely going to have to cut the Zoom breakout rooms. We had <laughs> such a great conversation today. We will push it forward to another day. So thanks, everyone, for being flexible and adaptable, going with flow. But in the chat, we have 
Are there any opportunities for international students who had a PhD in APE and are interested to continue a PhD program again in the US? As uh, probably most people never able to tell you I'm international, you know, there is a big secret, right? Nobody laughing, so, so maybe this joke is not doing it. I, I'm international, so I, I did not born the state and you know, there, I came after, after my undergraduate is over. So you know, they're, they're, I was very lucky to have a good mentor, you know, good you know, support. So, and then I able to, to find a job as a, the, the other physical activities specialist. So, you know, I believe so, you know, but you know, they're, uh, in the, uh, it, it is definitely out there, but you have to be, be looking for right person. Once again, as Justin said, you have to finding right, right, right mentor. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Find the right person that you want to work with. And, and then the second aspect, which is always an aspect is funding, right? Like find the place that has money to support you and the person you want to work with that has research interests that are aligned to yours and see if it works out. Thank you for having us. You know, I, I know we talked a lot, so, so we kind of were not able to, to, you know, having all planned activities, so we apologize. You know. Oh, it's all good. No, no need. No, this was a fantastic conversation, much needed. Um, and again, great that this will be on the What's New and Adapted PE podcast. And of course, we're live here on Facebook. So those who weren't able to join us live today can check it on the recording.